Very good morning to you all. Wonderful worship. Thank you, Mikey, for your exhortations and encouragements, and Mano for your worship. Coffee, tea, veranda, vacuum, uh, people serving the body of Christ, people in the middle of what God wants to do. And Katya and I got married 34 years ago, and we made a decision which seemed a little bit light then, but we said we will serve you, Jesus. I, was, I asked Lord for a wife, and he said, uh, just wait five years, but I will give her to you. And I waited, and he gave me this most exquisite gift. And God said, I want the two of you. I love the fact that I'm a little prophetic, and I felt God's clear instructions in my life. They weren't maybes. I felt God say, give me everything or nothing, amen? <laughs> And uh, when we got married and we sort of got orientated after the, the honeymoon and everything, uh, we made a decision that we would serve God, that whatever he asked of us, and yes, it wouldn't be always that pretty, we would make some mistakes, we're not the hero of the story, but um, we somehow with friends and community put our lots in. And uh, as we look back now, would we have done it any other way? Absolutely not. There's not a single regret that we have um, we're just an ordinary couple, and my injunction is not to talk about Nick and Kati, but to invite you into the middle of what God is doing. It is the only place to be, amen? It is, the, the, it is where God wants you. He's in the middle of us. He's in the middle of you. Even though you may have done some horrendous things this week, he's in the middle of your life. He, he, he will not leave you, amen? And so this morning, it's my joy to speak about the bride, I guess, Perhaps the most unimaginably glorious picture um, that you could speak about is, is the bride of Christ. Uh, when you talk about a, the bride of a man, it's like, okay, careful. <laughs> it's like, this is his bride, you know, and she has been set aside for her groom. And so we, the reason we did the pictures of the church was to help us understand the seasons or the times or the ways of God. And sometimes some of us may be very fixated on a family picture of God. Everything is about family. You've got to be family, family. All we talk about is family and ma and pa and the kids and the grandkids. And that, that's, we're obsessed with that picture. And that is a good picture. Father, son, the, the, the picture of the army where some of us more prophetic types want to go to battle. Where, where God is, the kingdom of God is advancing and you've got to put on your uniform. Well, not your uniform, but you've got to put on your spiritual battle gear, amen? Sometimes you may be attacked. I don't know if it's ever happened to you where you've been physically attacked. It happened to me at a party once. I was just a young kid and this gangster came up to me. He was the leader of a gang and he, and he, and he, he threw Tabasco sauce into my face. I said, why don't you pick on somebody else, you know? Why me? Why did he pick on me? I remember thinking, why did this guy pick a fight with me, you know? Sometimes the devil picks a fight with you. And I would get milk in my eyes and they had to take me home and it was a big drama and I rubbed it in my face. But sometimes you have to go to battle. That's a picture of the army. But we can't always be battling, amen? And you could be a vine or a, or a fruitful tree. And God says, it's to my glory. And so all those pictures, uh, um, you, you, you might a flock. And actually, I'm just a little sheep, Jesus. And so all those pictures help us orientate around the times and the seasons and helps us 
not be obsessed with one picture, amen? It's just about evangelism. It's just about reach. There's different pictures, and God sort of throws them all together and expects us, I think, to understand them. What about the bride? What is it about the bride? Well, this is a picture that, to me, almost kind of, if I can say, stands alone. Well, you can say the, the flock stands alone. The temple where we worship, where we living stone stands alone. The bride, to me, is something that I guess is very sacred. I, I, I kind of just think, wow, how do I do this? And I want to start off by just quoting um, this quote. And before I do that, the thing that, if I take leave this with you today, is that the thing of the bride there's one word about a bride and a bridegroom, and it's love and intimacy. It's not the picture of an army. It's not even the picture of a temple. But the picture of the bride and the bridegroom is the most ultimate picture he could have given us about intimacy between a man and a woman, intimacy between Jesus and his church. I quote from a theologian, the picture of marriage is applied to Christ and the church. Christ the bridegroom has sacrificially and lovingly chosen the church to be his bride. There was a betrothal period or an engagement period in biblical times during which the bride and groom were separated until the wedding. So the bride of Christ is separated from her bridegroom during this age which is called the church age. We are separated. Jesus came, he's gone away. It was normal in those days for the bride groom to come to, to engage with his, his betrothed and then to leave and then the day of the marriage would come where he would take her home. That's still coming. Her responsibility during the betrothal period is to stay faithful to him. In the end, the church will be united with the bridegroom. That's the Maranatha. That's the consummation. That's the final salvation, final, true actualization of being with our bridegroom. It's called the wedding ceremony of the Lamb. And the eternal union of Christ and his bride will be actualized. Then believers will have access to the heavenly city known as the New Jerusalem. Because he takes you away to be in the place that he has prepared. John in Revelation sees the city coming down from heaven adorned as a bride. It's like he, he calls it a city, but it's the church. It's the bride of Christ coming down. Um, meaning that the city will be gloriously radiant as the, inhabitants, as the inhabitants of that city. She will be holy and she'll be pure. That is us wearing white garments of holiness and righteousness. When Jesus came, end of quote, when Jesus came, it was the first time, 2,000 years ago, it was to get his bride. It was to secure his bride. And he bought her with his blood. The dowry price he paid was he laid down his life. He came to die. He, pray, he paid the ultimate and the highest price. His first coming was to get engaged. Promises were made. A law was fulfilled, a new covenant was ratified. To be part of this betrothal, this covenant, this promise, you needed to enter into the new covenant with Christ. You needed to be born again into, into Christ. You needed to die to the old and you needed to be born again. 
your name would be written in a marriage register. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life, where marriage registers, this man has been is betrothed to this woman. It would be the same Lamb's Book of Life. No one could scratch your name out of that. If you said, I put my faith in you, I believe that you came to die for me, I surrender my life to you, that, that the marriage register, Gah, would write your name. That's one of the book of, in, in the Old Testament, you see the names of all the people. You think, why do they write all these names? So you want to find your name there. I think it's the book of, is it Ezra or Nehemiah? Ezra, they, they, they said, no, your names were not in the, in the, written in the book. So they, had to, they couldn't participate in the sacrifices. When he comes back, it'll be to take her away to his paradise. To his garden, the Song of Songs beloved says, to his chamber, if you will. To his father's house, I go and prepare a place. In the old times, he would go back without his bride and he would go and prepare a place. And then on that day when he takes her, there would be a place prepared. There are two parables that speak and help us with a picture of the bride and the bridegroom. It's the first parable, Matthew 25, the parable of the 10 virgins. Amazing picture. Parables are shadows. They, we can see dimly. They, 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 they help and for us to understand things. The other parable is the, is the Matthew 22 one, which is the, the kingdom of God is like a king who prepared a wedding feast or a wedding banquet for his son. And then he, he, then he sent out his servants to invite all those that had been invited to say, it's come, it's time. And then they didn't come, so he sent them again, and they were still busy. So then he kind of sent them again, and then they were killed him. Then he said, go into the highways and the byways and take, invite everybody that you meet. And the highways, the good, the bad, bring them. And then the father's um, banquet was filled. So those help us. Does the scripture, or how does the scripture, and this is an important theological piece, speak about the groom and the church as the bride? Well, let's, I'll just rattle some off for you. 2 Corinthians 11.2. I'm jealous for you, says Paul to the Corinthians, with a godly jealousy. Profound words. He says, I promised you Corinthians. The Corinthians were gifted. They're amazing. They had the spirit, but they were chaotic as well. Reminds me of some of the phases we've been through. Kind of chaos, full of spirit, full of prophecy. He says, I promised you to one husband. What? Are we going to marry Christ? Yeah. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. So even Paul says, you will be presented, Corinthians, as a pure virgin to one husband. The context, deception. There was deception in the church. They were being led astray from a pure and sincere devotion to Jesus. Imagine your fiancé. Like every time you hear about her, she's at another party dancing with another guy. <laughs> another coffee shop with another guy. It's like, ah, what? does she love me? She's always, she's getting nicer and nicer dresses and everyone's checking her out and she's on Facebook and Instagram and I don't know what's and and, every, and everyone's like, including some other boys. Ah. Uh, Interesting picture. They were preaching another Jesus. Imagine on that day, that's on that wedding day, and the church, you know, walks down there and they think, "Who's that?" 
Who's that at the front? Is that the Jesus that we preached? Or is that another Jesus? And that was happening in the Corinthian church. Other scriptures, Ephesians 5, 31, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. <laughs> there's a wedding in, the, in Genesis chapter two, and there's a wedding in, in there's a, a Genesis chapter, that's Genesis chapter two. In Revelation chapter 22, the spirit and the bride, there's a wedding there as they say, come. It starts with a wedding and it ends with a wedding. The last time the church is mentioned, she's mentioned as a bride. Husbands, Ephesians 5.25, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. I've got an unholy wife, you may say. I've got a difficult wife. Love her, wash her cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church. So we as husbands need to understand that, wrestle with it. I was, uh, we were at home yesterday, both of us preparing in our different rooms and I walked down the passage, if you don't mind me sharing this, Kati. And as I walked down the passage, I had a picture for Kati. So I tipped her into her room because I'm not allowed there sometimes because she's, and I just said, I got a word for you. I'm sharing this, brothers and sisters, not to talk about us, but maybe to help one man here today. So I, I, I said, I've got a word for you, my angel, just sitting in a chair, and it took me three or four minutes to minister to my wife. I put my hand on her head, I spoke the word to her, I, I ministered to her, so easy, so uncomplicated, didn't want anything back, like coffee or sex or anything. Didn't want anything back. Just loved her. Because it's like the bridegroom said, uh, husband, love her like I love you. And it took three minutes, and she sat back in her chair, and she just said, thank you so much. Is that complicated? I, I get it from there. I could have walked past, huh, whatever. But, ah. Uh, so, have you been loved by Jesus, forgiven by Jesus, blessed by Jesus? And to present it himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The church belongs to Jesus. It's his church. He marries her. He has betrothed to her. He has poured out his life for her. He cleanses her. She belongs to him. The leaders are simply eunuchs, which means they are, they, 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 they are men who prepare, and women who prepare the church for Jesus, the bride. They are the preparers in the back room. They're doing the makeup. They're, getting the, they're helping her get her dress on, but they don't touch her. They don't pass sake comments. They don't tap her on the bum and say, Church belongs to Jesus, amen? That's a challenge for me. The moment the church becomes ours, I've heard people say, my church, they, we say it innocently, uh, Nick Hardy's church, it does not exist that. It's the church of Jesus. You and I mysteriously belong to Jesus. 
in John 3:26, as we just get some scriptures into us, they came to John and they say, you know, there's a whole scene going on. John the Baptist, a main guy. Um, they said, hey, John, John, John. They said, yes, the one you testified about, John. He is baptizing and everyone is going to him. This is how John replies. A man can receive only what's given him from above, from heaven. And said, I'm not the Christos, I'm not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. Those that are going to him belong to him. They don't belong to me. Yeah, but John, you're the like, you, you're the, you're this evangelist, bro. You just, everyone's came to you. Everyone got baptized in the great Judean countryside. The friend who attends to the bridegroom, which is the groomsman or the best man, he's posturing himself as a groomsman, waits and listens for him. And he is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. Remember he said, behold the Lamb of God. He must have heard his voice. He says, I, I can hear that voice. I know that's that. And he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater and I must, I must become less, which means I've done my job. I've done my job. Go to Jesus. That's the picture. It's a very sacred picture. There is nothing ordinary or casual. We've been to casual weddings. I've been to weddings with guys with the slops and shorts. Okay, but this wedding is not going to be a casual affair. It's not any wedding, but all the weddings that even you went to yesterday, Mikey, I'm sure help us. No one gets to be a part of this great wedding feast by chance but only by wholehearted, radical devotion. Amen? Marriage, brothers and sisters, is not a casual affair. It's a sacred moment. Even our marriages on earth, they're a little bit broken. Sometimes, you know, the mistakes are made and the bride slips and the groom stutters and he, the ring falls down and, and the pastor messes it up. Please, elders, don't do that. It can happen or the music's out of... But this wedding... I googled the most, the best weddings in the world. Not googled, YouTubed. Man, there's some lavish weddings. I think the one wedding must have had 100,000 roses. I mean, more. Just unbelievable opulence. It's got nothing on the wedding that we're going to see. The pageantry, the beauty, the union. Jesus ain't going to marry anybody. He's going to marry those that love him. In the Old Testament, we see this picture of marriage playing out. Very strong language. I mean, the, the, the Lord is like a broken-hearted lover. He is exceedingly unhappy at times with Israel. Return, O faithless people. He says in Jeremiah 3.14, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. He says, to come back to me, I'm your husband. It's a metaphor. Sometimes he's a shepherd, but now he's a husband. I will choose you, one from a town, two from a clan, and I will bring you to Zion. I'll bring you to the city of God. Ladies, help the men. What is it to give yourself? What is it to surrender? That's why the churches are more filled with ladies. I don't know if this church has more ladies. I think they do, Mark. It's close. I sometimes look at our stats. It's not far, praise God. But some churches, 80% women, 15% men, 
5%, I don't know what. <laughs> but, but you see, you see, you see the, the, the ladies get it. They, they yield. They yield. Isaiah 54.5, your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. He's not hidden this from us. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. Maker, husband, redeemer. He's the whole package, amen? So God wants us to see the true union of Christ and his church as a bride and a bridegroom. If you get this aspect, what about shepherd and sheep? Very important. Because I tend to stray. I don't know about you. I'm a sheepy. <laughs> don't, you know, I read it again this, this, this week. The, the absolute horror that people should call you sheep. I'm not a sheep. Jesus will say, cool. You're not a sheep. Cool. What are you, a goat? Sure. But as we get older, as we find out who we are, we say, Lord, I'm little sheep. Lord, I want to be a part of your flock. Lord, rescue me. I've been walking with this 50 years, but I need you to rescue me. I'm on the edge. I'm struggling, Lord. I've been praying in tongues for 40 years. I've been to the nations, but help me. Help me, Lord. Now, the sheep can't help itself. Do you know that? Can't rid itself of ticks. In fact, if it will, just keeps on growing. Sometimes the Lord's got to prune us. You see that one sheep they found? Hadn't been, it will hadn't been cut for a few years. Did you see it? Where was it removed? So see the sheep needs the shearers of heaven. The two shall become one. Oneness is the loss of self into another. Lose yourself into your bridegroom. Because the bridegroom is in us and we're in him. Proverbs thirty eighteen says, uh, the three things are too wonderful for me, four things I can't understand. What is it? The way of an of a eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a stone, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man and a maiden. <laughs> like, what is it about falling in love? What is it about how funny they are, how gooey they go? How is it that they're so changed? He says, it's too marvelous, the way of a man and a maiden, the way of the bride and the bridegroom, the way of the church and Jesus, brothers and sisters, it's a love affair. The story of the church is a story of a love affair between a bride and a bridegroom. Revelation 19.7 that Mikey read, let us rejoice. Weddings are not somber, like everyone's walking there like a funeral. No, let us rejoice and be glad. And give him glory. For the wedding of the lamb. Why does he say lamb? Oh, the one that laid down his life. The one who is pierced. The one who is worthy. No one was worthy. Oh, the lamb of God upon the throne. He is worthy. I know every lady wants to marry the ultimate groom. Jesus is the ultimate groom. And his bride has made herself ready. Is that works? Do I have to work? Do I have to earn salvation by good works? No. You just have to make yourself ready. I've got to make myself ready. You don't have to go and make the dress. You have to put the dress on. You've got to let somebody put on your makeup. Isn't that what happens, Kati? You've got to let somebody do your hair if you have any. 
You've got to let people give you facials and manicures and pedicures and nosy cures and everything else, whatever you need. All the bridesmaids preparing the bride. Make yourself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. I don't come and say, Lord, check all my good works. Somebody went out. This guy said to me the other day, I couldn't afford a dress for my daughter. It was so painful. But actually, we want to, there's the dress. Isaiah 61 verse 10. That dress, by the way, is the gospel. That dress is a righteousness given to us, a robe of righteousness, a garment of salvation. Put it on. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's a gift. Can I come to the wedding? Can I be a part of the wedding? Can I be your bride? Yes. How? Must be born again. He must be born again. How? Must I enter into my mother's womb a second time? No, Nicodemus. You must be born from on high. You need to follow me. You need to put your faith in me. You need to walk away from what you've had before and you need to metanoia and you need to put your faith in me. And you need to say, Jesus, I'm with you. Save me. Kiss me. Heal me. Wash me. And I'm yours. Write my name in your register. Put a betrothal ring on my finger. Seal me, amen. Give me your Holy Spirit. That's what it is. Isaiah 61.10, rejoice greatly in I rejoice greatly in the Lord. He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. I think, as I was saying to somebody recently, I think when I got saved, I got religious. Because I did everything right. Everything right. I would look down on people that didn't do everything right. And it's subtle how the devil just makes you a little bit self-righteous. How come you lost your marriage? What's wrong with you? Etc., etc. Oh Lord, we're all broken. One has got pride, other one's just downright insecure, gossiper. Not helpful. But Lord, wrap me with cling wrap, robe of righteousness. Adorn me, etc. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 11, the parable of the wedding banquet, the great story, which I won't go into, but then the king noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He said, friend, he asked him, how did you get in here without any wedding clothes? The man was speechless. I want to fall on my knees and say, Lord, I don't want to know, I want, I want your wedding robe on me. I want to learn how to love you. I want, I want to tenderize my heart. I want to be a lover of God, amen? What about evangelism? What about the nations? What about the prophetic? What about serving? What about the poor? All important, but most important, I want to be a lover. Back to the wedding scene. Normal wedding scene, as we heard, there was one yesterday. The bride is radiant, she's dressed, she's without spot or wrinkle. As we know weddings, we've been to different weddings. I wouldn't have chosen that dress. doesn't matter. The bride has done her best. All heads turn to watch her. Tears, sighs, 
emotion. We were, the last wedding was in the Midlands. I know, we know the girl, we've seen her from school, standard grade eight. Man, was she beautiful. I mean, she is a beautiful girl. She was blessed with beauty and brains. But when she walked down and every head turned, they weren't looking at the groom, Mikey, but every head was turned. And I thought, how did they get her to be this beautiful? Wow. There was the groom blubbing his eyes out. Every time I think the bride walks down the aisle, she's at her most beautiful. Can you remember your bride? I do mine. Most beautiful. In that moment, I could see, I, when I look back at that moment, I can see everything about my bride. Just that moment captured. Something exquisite. Something, there's a wedding anointing. It doesn't matter around the world. I looked up traditional weddings, tribal weddings. I looked at pictures. I looked at Hebrew weddings. I looked at Lebanese weddings, Arab weddings, French weddings, American weddings, traditional South African weddings. There's an anointing there. There's a wonder there. There's something there. Even if the people don't even know God, it's like there's something there. There's a design in heaven because it's going to end with a wedding banquet. But when the wedding of the Lamb comes, it will be different, I believe. The focus will not be on the bride, even though she will be the most beautiful thing you have ever seen. The bride of Christ will be the most beautiful bride that we have ever seen. And somehow, you and I will be a part of it. But I believe the focus will be on the bridegroom. The groom, Jesus is his name, when he reveals himself in all of his glory, we will probably do what the Song of Songs beloved said. She was faint with love. If John the Apostle fell as though dead when he saw this groom, this bridegroom in all his glory, how much more us. And so sometimes we see um, the Song of Songs was a book written. It's a, it's a book written that's a little bit edgy. It's a little bit sexual, people say. You couldn't read it if you weren't over a certain age as a Jewish Hebrew scholar. But she helps us to describe him. Take me away with you, she says. Kiss me with the kisses of your mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. She begins this, this symphony, this song, this poetry, prose, whatever it is. I want to go somewhere with you. Take me with you. I want to go to an undisturbed place, to a secret place. Hurry, let us go. For I am faint with love. I want to go to a place where I can give myself to you, where I can experience your fullness. Her friends are so intrigued by her language and her love, they say, why is your Beloved, fairer than 10,000, which basically means, why are you saying that this one of yours is like better than everyone on the face of the planet? How is he better than 10,000? And so she begins to say, my lover, this is us speaking about Jesus. We were trying to sing it this morning. My lover is radiant and ready. Does anybody know what radiant means? He is the radiance of God's glory. 
So he, everything about Jesus, when you see him on that day in his full glory, he will be so radiant and so dazzling, and he will, he will manifest the outer rim of God's glory. That's how radiant. His face will be brighter than the sun. His eyes like blazing fire. His head and his hair as white as wool. His feet will be like feet burnished in a bronzed fire. His feet will be burning like bronze. <laughs> Even though John just, he is ruddy. Do you know what ruddy means? It means red, which means there is a glow about him. He's not anemic, pale, religious, sickly. Like I saw a guy this, we went ziplining and a guy started to faint. He went whiter and whiter and whiter and whiter until he fainted. Jesus, Jesus, not going to be like it. Just as well, you made it bright. Yes, you are hard work to get ready. You will be radiant, ruddy. Ruddy means full of color, different interpretations. Outstanding among 10,000. His head is the purest gold. What does that mean? Gold in the temple, authority, shining, bright, gold, authority. Everything, all his rulership, all his dominion, all his majesty in his head. He is the head of the body. Um, his hair is wavy and as black as the ravens. What does that mean? I don't know. I, I kind of looked it up. People say, well, he's like, he's, he like, he's like human. He's got lots of hair. <laughs> Maybe strong like Samson. His eyes are like doves. Yo, what does that mean? Doves, the spirit, gentle. He looks at you. He, when he looks at you, you, just, you, you melt. The dove of God, the gentle spirit of God, he's got, his eyes are like fire, but now they're like doves. By the water streams, washed in milk, pure eyes. Yo, how's that? Washed in milk, the purity of the word. See, our eyes look at stuff we shouldn't. His eyes are washed pure. Only eyes for his bride. Isn't that beautiful? Mounted like jewels. She, this lady, his cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. <laughs> Myrrh, quite a thing, isn't it? There'll be the certain perfume. I mean, sometime I wife said, wear perfume. I said, I don't dig perfume, like nothing. I don't like wearing perfume at all. But Jesus has got perfume on his cheeks. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies. What are lilies? Beautiful. Speaking words of beauty to his beloved. Husbands and wives. Your lips, what we say to each other, what Jesus is saying to his church. Dripping with myrrh, it's like a resin. It's just like, it's like dripping with honey. Sweetness itself. His arms are like rods of gold. Hold me, pick me up, take me across the threshold. Are you still there? Are you bored? Are you watching Instagram? Are you, doing, are you sending messages? Pick me up. Sometimes I look at my arms, I think little thin, mangy things. Jesus' arms strong. Whoever marries my daughter, I hope he's a strong man that can lead her to Jesus, that can lead the family, amen? And I hope my son, whoever he marries, and all of you who are getting married here, that actually there's, a, there's this picture of the bridegroom. Isn't it beautiful? 
But sometimes our arms, we stiff-neck people and we hurt each other and we... Set with crystallite. His body is like polished ivory. <laughs> oh my word. Decorated with sapphires. Got a six-pack. <laughs> Not like mine. His legs are pillar of marbleite. Steady. Jesus, are you sure you're coming back? Are you for real? Did you go and prepare? I'm strong. We like this. We like strong legs. She's using a picture of strength. Sometimes we think the devil's one. Sometimes we see somebody die of cancer or die of a car crash. Where are you, Jesus? Jesus is strong. Jesus has taken her. Our young friend that died when we all got saved, catastrophic leukemia. We were in the faith movement. We are in the healing movement. The fact that he died was all of, all of our faith was shattered because no one got sick and died because we were part of the healing kingdom now faith movement. And if you didn't get healed, God wasn't in the house. And he died. And Fred Roberts, who was in the room when he died, said, while he died, five o'clock in the morning, Fred Roberts was there because he was my friend. I spoke to Fred. He's, Said, and Theo Vormerans was there, and they said they, they were both there because this was an incredible young man. They said they felt the angels come and take him away. And he said to me, he said, he said to me, Nick, uh, my mother doesn't want me to die. Would you release me? That's what he said to me. I said, What? He said, Would you release me that I could go now? He took off his shirt, stood in front of me, and he said, Look, my body's gone. 21, six foot four, seven A's in matric. Jesus, the strong one. He took him, amen. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars, which means high. His mouth is sweetness itself. Cedars are tall, they're high. He is altogether lovely. This is my lover, this is my friend, adorers of Jerusalem. Christianity is not behave, but behold. See, what we want to do, brothers and sisters, is unless we behold, we start behaving. It's not observed, but it's enter. It's a love story. It's yours and it's mine. The bridegroom is like nothing or no one that you've ever met, really. He is completely set apart. When you behold his face, when you stare at him, when you seek him, everything else you get blinded to. He is so bright. It's just like, you know, I mean, Dave and I were talking. When you're walking around, you see a shiny thing. You want to go and see, what's that shiny thing? Jesus is, he, everything else pales, but if he doesn't, if he isn't that to you, if you are veiled, you will go and look for other loves, other affections, other dazzlements, but he is brightness itself. His eyes are like blazing fire. He is absolute majesty. He is holiness, authority, purity, justice, power, grace, love, peace, this is your bridegroom. This is who you are given to marry. I, I found him who my soul loves. Song of Songs 3, 4. I held him and I would not let him go. What? I held him and I would. She, this is a lady. I mean, you know, you, you, that was like a bit pushy, but she says, I found him. I found him. I held him. You see, brothers and sisters, at some stage, you know, you can't rely on Dave's faith. Amen? Or my faith, or your husband's faith, or your wife's faith, or your leader's faith. You know, when leaders go, people fall apart. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. 
Because even she says, I found, I held, I would not let him go. Isn't that a cool picture? One of the things that I want to say, probably the most important thing, is I've learned this, that God melts for love. Can I repeat that? Lord, I've led your church, I've gone to the nations, I've given my money, I've gone to hospital 95 times, I've married 200 people, I've done 95 funerals. You better give me something. He's not interested. But the least in this room, the one that has done hardly anything, (laughs) I'm not saying do nothing, the one who just says, ooh, I love him, the one who genuinely God's heart, I believe, my personal belief is that, that, that those that love Jesus, his heart's very, very soft for them. God strongly responds to adoration, to our love, to our posture of desire, to our longing, to our giving our hearts to him. That lady with the alabaster jar, takes her hair out, man. Tears, washing tears. Takes her hair, wipes his feet. Her hair would have been full of that perfume. The whole room. All the fairies are saying, ah, Puffy, look, she's a sinner. Jesus lets her kiss. She kisses him all over his body. She, she attends to him. Mary says, falls at his feet. Who else? David dances before the Lord with all of his might. His wife says, he's just a clown. What's wrong with you? He says, I will be even more undignified than this. Loving God moves the heart of God. And so in Revelation 22, 7, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let all, him who hears, did you hear the spirit and the bride? All the onlookers, those who hear, let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. The bridegroom longs for living water. Come and take it. I don't know that I've said, Jesus, come. I'm saying, Jesus, just hold a little bit. Just hold a little bit. But the Spirit causes you to envy for God. The Spirit of God, you see, the Spirit of God we thought was just for healing and for speaking tongues and for prophecy. No, the Spirit in the bride, the Spirit awakens the bride and the Spirit says, body, church, shout out. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And so we're the people that say, come our bridegroom. Genesis chapter five, verse one to 32, is how many years in the making? The elders that were listening. Genesis 5 is how many years? Hey? Very good, Chris. Genesis chapter 5, 32 verses is, is 1,600 years. That's nothing for God. That's 10 generations mentioned. He's been gone for 2,000 years. That's just one chapter of the Bible. <laughs> the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Come, Lord. The Spirit has worked into the bride, the longings, the affections. And once the Spirit, if you follow the Spirit, the Spirit begins to desire earnestly within you, and the Spirit says, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And the bride that says, Not yet, Lord. Not really. I've got stuff to do. <laughs> and boogie in the, in the city a little bit. 
This one who's going to do some stuff, just wait. That's what happened to the ten virgins that didn't have the five virgins. You know what they're saying? They didn't have oil. They didn't think he would come, but he came at midnight. And, and, and those, those virgins had no oil. They had no anointing. They were dry. And they said, can we borrow? The, the, the cry came. The, the groom is coming. He's coming. Midnight. And they rose and they trimmed their, their um, lamps. But the five virgins, click, click, can we have some of your oil? No, no. And actually, go and buy your own. But they went and they bought. But the door closed. You see, what's so important for us as we try and preach nice sermons so that we don't offend each other? Let's go and think about our bridegroom. Let's go and think about being ready. Let's go and think about actually the, 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 the bride's drinking the water. At the, at the woman at the well, you're thirsty? Give me some water, give me some water. If you knew he was here, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Huh? How many husbands have you had? Five. There's an issue of living water, the bridegroom who gives us his living water and marriage and oil and marriage. The one is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You have no money. Come, buy and eat. He has taken me to the banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. My people have committed two sins. What are they, Lord, Jeremiah? They have forsaken, they have forgotten me, the spring of living water, the husband of my soul. And they have dug their own cisterns, cisterns that cannot hold water. So a bride that is full of life, is full of oil, has drunk. Finishing, finishing, finishing. Love us to be fully satisfied in Jesus. A distracted bride, an empty bride, a religious bride turns away. She, she has no choice. She, she, she can't connect with him. Allow the Spirit of God this morning. If you go home today, we've got a deacon's function here, a leader's function. We had to cancel yesterday. Too much rain. Well done, Michael. We want to say, Lord, I've been thinking about the bride the whole week and me, me being the bride and the bridegroom. I say, Lord, fill this oil. Fill, fill this tank here. Fill me, Lord. I will provide water in the desert, Isaiah 43. Oh, he'll capture you. So nice to see you here, Sam. He'll, he'll capture you. There's a, there's a love affair happening. And um, there's an invitation for us to come as the beloved of God, is to go and drink from the well of life, is to go and say, Lord, put oil in my lamps. Is that okay? The most important thing we need, brothers and sisters, is Jesus we're not here to give you good coffee. We try. Good worship, we try. Good sermons, we try. But we're here to give you the bridegroom, Jesus. And we're here to say, go to him and drink from him. Could you stand with me as I pray?
just allow God to... They, they say that many men can't relate to being a bride. They, they say, that's why theologians struggle with the bride. I don't struggle as much. I don't find it that difficult. But I'd love just to pray for us that, that something of the revelation of God would fill us so that we think, okay, I'm getting ready for a wedding feast, amen? And I've been invited to it. And so can I just pray while the band gets ready? Lord, this is a strong picture, Jesus. It's so strong, Lord, it's overwhelming. We understand the flock, the temple. Sure, in South Africa, we understand the army, probably, if we have older generation. We understand, Lord, the family. That's easy. But this is intimate, Lord. This is deep. This is profound. This is pageantry. This is poetry, Lord. I thank you that there's a a room prepared in your father's mansion for your bride. It's a house with many rooms, the Bible says. Father, we don't want to be found like five virgins, no oil, nothing. No lights, no ignition. We don't want to be found like dry. But even though we're in the desert, there'll be pools of water. And there'll be growth and there'll be life and there'll be abundance and verdantness, Lord. And so, so Holy Spirit, as much as we need you for gifts to go and get on with a mission, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would envy intensely, earnestly within us, for this Jesus, who we are still discovering his glory and his wonder, who was so dazzling that every crown will be laid at the foot of his feet and we will all fall down and worship. Thank you that you're dressing us and preparing us, Lord. I pray, God, that you would journey with us and teach us to be true lovers because you can't resist the lover, Lord. You never have turned away that people that have loved you, that have given everything to you, even though they're sinful, God. We praise you this morning. We praise you this morning, Lord. Open our eyes, Lord. Open the heavens. Open the scriptures, God. We want to be the bride of Christ. Over to you, Mikey.